What's up? And welcome to another episode on Black in the Maritimes. I'm Fidel, and I'm here with a friend of the show. Uh, she's a entrepreneur, creative, uh, DJ, uh, pretty awesome person in general. Kayla Borden, how you doing? Welcome back. Thank you. Thanks for having me. How's it going? All good. All good. Uh, so Kayla uh, has been on the news. If you check out the Halifax Examiner, uh, she currently has a lawsuit against the Halifax Police Department. Uh, to my attention, it. it Halifax Examiners, shout out to them. They they've been uh you know very close to the story. Uh it hasn't been published in other types of mediums, which I ha I do not recall. Uh, but uh shout out to them. Uh shout out to uh Andrew Andrew, he's a pretty good guy. He's actually doing a pretty good job out there. So shout uh, out to Matthew Byard and Eldra. Ma right Matthew, yeah. Family. Yeah. Sorry about that. I said Andrew for some reason, but yeah, Matthew, yeah, shout out to him. We should, I should have you again on the show. We we have a wrestling topic to discuss. <laughs> oh, <nice. laughs> so again, I, I know about the what has happened. Uh, I read about it a lot. So instead of me saying what what happened that day, I'm gonna let you say what happened that day, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, no worries. Um, so yeah, it was uh, July twenty eighth. Um, and, uh, it was like 12, almost 12, 12, between 12 and 12 30 PM. I was on my way home, um, from visiting my cousin, um, that lives in, uh, off, off of the Bedford highway, closer to Hammond's Plains or whatnot. Um, and, um, I, I, I didn't think anything of it. And, uh, I, it was like maybe like five, 10 minutes after leaving his house, um, a cop was behind me. They had their lights on. So I, I, I pulled over to the side. They passed me. Um, everything was good. And then I um, was con continuing on my way home um, and got onto, um, I guess it's called the Dartmouth Dartmouth Road or Dartmouth Ave. Um, and I was, I was just driving, driving home um, towards Windmill. Um, and then I was like, at, I think it's called Seaforth, Seaforth and Windmill. Um, I was at the at the lights there at that intersection, um, and all of a sudden, um, I was there at the red light, and all of a sudden, there was a um, a, a paddy wagon that was that came in front of me, and I thought it was gonna just keep on driving, um, like it was turning to like go towards the opposite way that I was coming from. Um, as soon as the light turned green, um. I heard an officer from behind me um, stating to put my hands on the steering wheel. I, I didn't know what was going on. Um, I looked around and there was a bunch of uh, police officers, um, police vehicles behind me. And I was I was shocked because I didn't I didn't know what was going on at that time. Um, the officer um, tried to open my door, but I have automatic lock, so they they couldn't get in. Um, so, um, I had unlocked the door. As soon as I step out, the police officer, um, grabs me, um, puts my hands behind my back and says I'm under arrest. I ask him what for. And, um, he basically says, um, you'll see in a minute, takes me to the, the back of my car. So I'm standing like basically at the back of the, my car on the side. Um, and I'm looking around and like I said, there's like, uh, like five to six police, um, vehicles around me, surrounding me. Um, 
I, I'm in odd shock because I'm like, what what is going on? I'm just on my way home. Um, I didn't know what was happening. And then um, another, um, I, I, I told the officers, I was like, man, I was like this, I feel like this is dim- discrimination because it was all white officers. Um, and their officer was like, no, they're, they're like, no, it, no, it isn't. Uh, an officer asked me if I, if I knew why I was getting, like, why I'm under arrest or why they're stopping me. And I was like, no, because they never even said anything to me, didn't read my rights, nothing. Um, and then they tried to make a few excuses. They said that my lights were off. Then they said that I was trying to flee the police and I mentioned to them, how am I fleeing the police if I didn't know that you were behind me? Um, <clears throat> and then uh, another officer came back and was just like, I wasn't the right person they were looking for, I guess. The officer told me that, one of the officers told me that they were looking for a white man in a t- Toyota. And that's all I know. And they unarrested me and uh, they told me to stick around so they think they can grab my information. Um and one of the officers told me to go to the side of the road because I was in the middle of the road. That's where they had me, um, I guess, boxed in. Um, and then they gave gave my papers and apologized. And then um, I was on my way home. But for me, I, I really thought that was uh, a type of discrimination because I was the only one on the road. Um, also, why was there so many officers surrounding me when I was at a stoplight? I wasn't, I wasn't fleeing the scene. So the excuses that they made didn't didn't up to me. Yeah, that's one thing that kind of caught my eye on the report was that they were searching. Uh, you you had a Dodge car, is that correct? Yeah, I had a Dodge Avenger at that time. Dodge Avenger, and they were searching for a Toyota with a white man, and that that caught my eye. The other thing that caught my eyes that usually cops run your license plate that's usually what they do i mean they have a system that they type in your license plate and they see who the car belongs to or is registered to so you know they if you pulled over they could ask you for your license and registration they could have run your plates that this is a normal procedure that any cop does all the time i I, it, it kind of blew my mind that that was not done uh, that's nowhere in the report to be found that they run the license plate, that they ask you for your ID. Uh, you know, again, if it's let's say that it's a wild police chase that they're saying usually a car doesn't stop, uh, usually they block the highways and things like that. That there's a process for this. This is not something that that you know it's uncommon for cops. Now, to ask you, is this uh? your first uh interaction with the cops like that or you have you had previous interactions with them not 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 in this stance like i mean i haven't i mean i don't feel like i've done anything to run into the cops like that so for something like this yeah it's my my first time and again there's a term for this they call it driving while black driving while black yeah a hundred percent there is a common term for this, which is this is what the this episode is going to be about. Uh, when you are in that situation, again, uh, there's a lack of procedure. They they say sorry, and then they they leave you after after harassment. Was there any follow up after that? 
No, there wasn't no follow-up. Honestly, I was furious because, like I said, um, I I didn't know what was going on. They were saying that they were following me for a minute, and I did not know that they were following me. Um, for them to even arrest me and not read me my rights, um, or to even let me know when uh, I was arrested, why I was being arrested, um, I, I, was, I was in shock, especially... Especially after all of the George Floyd stuff, um, I was, I don't want to say that I was scared, but I, I was like, I, I like kind of like froze. And again, this could be, you know, I wish it would be something that would be unusual because people say like, oh, but in, in Canada, it's, it's pretty common when, when you're black that people pull you over to read the rights. And it usually can turn out worse. Like it usually gets to brute force, or even people not breathing for another day. And when you had this experience, and again, you said like, yeah, you had previous encounters, but not like this before. How did that make you feel that that happened to you like that? Mm -hmm. I mean, pre when I say previous encounters, I mean like, yeah, I've been stopped maybe once before and like it was just like you know just normal street checks I guess you want to call them um, but not it's not something normal but yeah that feeling that um, I was just um, surrounded at that time I I was scared I I didn't know what I didn't know what was happening I didn't know what was going on um, and to for a cop to come to the side of my vehicle, not knowing where they're coming from, um, from, from behind me, although the officer that arrested me supposedly came from the front. Um, I didn't know. I didn't know if they had their guns drawn or anything. I, I, I don't know what, what happened. I just followed procedure. Cause I, I, I didn't know, uh, what to do at that time. Yeah, and most of us don't. I mean, that's that's the thing. Like like you said, your previous encounters were like normal, like you know, street check that everybody's getting checked for somebody or nothing. Like you don't you don't really uh have any you don't know what to do because this is quote unquote the law, right? This is this is the person that's supposed to protect you. Uh so you're you don't know what to do. They're one of the ones that are supposed what to do. And, you know, that's the one of the reasons why I asked, because some many people have, a, you know, some people do have large interactions with the police and they usually know what to do. They just put their hands up or whatever. But again, most of us, 95 percent of us don't, maybe 98 percent of us don't. So we just do what they tell us and we just keep it by because, again, they are the law. So this happened in 2020. Was COVID already a thing at that point? 2020. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Because it was in July, and I think COVID came, well, COVID officially made its uh, rounds in, in March, I believe it was. So at that point, uh, you know, there wasn't a lot of people on the street. You know, the streets were probably mostly empty. So it, it is a bit, it, again, uh, the reason why I'm, I iterate this is a bit odd that they they one of the excuses was that they were trying to get somebody else or like a, a, when when again this is a time that there's not a whole lot of people going around because there's safeties and you know not every not a whole lot of things are open uh again the streets were pretty empty so looking for somebody uh without running their license plates without it it, it seems a bit odd 
Uh, I mean, yeah, 100%. The person that they were looking for didn't have a license plate. They had a temporary permit. You can tell the difference between a temporary permit and a license plate. Like even just thinking, you know, um, just um, some of the answers that the officers were giving, talking about how it's so dark. Um, license plates, especially Nova Scotia, our license plate is really reflective. You can see them from a distance. But even when you stop, they could have just run the plates. I mean, like exactly. as soon as you stop. They could have just they could have just run the play and say okay this is, and then at see your ID it's like okay this kind of matches uh you know we were looking for the right person wrong person it is and again the demo the, it's a white man in a Toyota there's a black woman in a Dodge it's 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 way way out of the mouth so you get to this experience uh you do the right thing which is uh you proceed legally because uh you said you heard nothing from them no follow ups nothing again. And then you go to this bureaucratic process, which that's that's what it is. So how has that been like? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's for me, it's been wild. And um, honestly, that the next I can't even say the next day it was the same day, just later on in the daytime. I went straight to the police station um, to make to make a complaint. Um, they couldn't find um, they couldn't find the report on it. They gave me the runaround. Um, they said I had to go to Dartmouth, went to Dartmouth. They said I go to Halifax. Then they said I had to go back to Dartmouth. And then finally, um, uh, someone got back to me um, about um, about the report. Um, and then I had to file a few different, um, for a few different documents. I know one, one of them was like the freedom freedom of release of information or something like that. Um, it, it, thank God I had lawyers or lawyers to help me out with this because it, it's definitely a long process that um, I feel like you do need the support um, to, uh, to file for these things. Yeah, and that's why it's a, it's a very bureaucratic, very slow process, and and it's that for a reason. Uh, you know, especially when it comes to the police force, the police force doesn't want to be called out. Uh, mm -hmm. they will delay this as much as they can because it's it's not from there. Well, for, but uh, it's twenty twenty two now. Where it's actually the end of twenty twenty two. So it has taken uh close to two years. It's gonna be three years uh next year when that happens. And so far, there's still early proceedings. Is that is that is that the process that you guys are in now? Yeah, we're still in the police hearing. Um, and so it got uh, we had to stop because of COVID, um, in twenty twenty one, um, and then um, yeah, we were just in the hearing, um, part of the hearing last week. Um, and now we're just waiting for Dan Kinsella to take stand. Dan Kinsella is the, the one of the cops. Uh, he's the chief of police or police. He's the chief of police. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, was he in charge when that happened? Yeah. I mean, he's in charge of Halifax Regional Police. Um, he's the one that um, made the statement or made the announcement of the apologies of the street checks and all of that. And yeah, it's still happening. So just need to hear what he has to say. 
for those of you that don't know, in Nova Scotia, especially in the city of Halifax, there was something called police street check. Now, the police could check you out on the street at, at any time. And for some reason, again, uh, Black people are probably one point or two percent of the whole uh, province. And for some reason, Black people get checked uh, 50 percent to 60 to 70 percent of the time. Uh, that's a lot for being two percent of the whole right. population. So that 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 was completely unqualified. You, you could tell that there was a bias, uh, a racial bias against it. Because again, if two percent, one percent, one point five percent of people get checked 70, 80 percent of the time, uh, it there there something's wrong here. Uh, and yeah, the Halifax uh, police stopped that. They apologized, and you know one of the sayings says like. It doesn't feel, it doesn't feel real until it's close to home. So, so we have heard we have heard this many times. We have heard this many times, and and you know you see it in the news, you see it uh, in the United States, uh, you see it in places like Ontario. Uh, it happens in New Brunswick, it happens in Halifax, but uh, you are a living proof that because this happened to you. Have have you heard or? Has this happened to somebody that's close to you other than yourself? Close to me. Not necessarily close to me, but it's definitely happens in in my community more than it should. And when I say my community, I mean the Black community, African Nova Scotians. Um, I was uh, like just uh, putting my uh, case or my complaint against HRP, you know, I was hoping to, and still am, hoping to make a statement that, you know, this happens way too often. And it definitely has happened after me. Look at um, the police officer that got pulled over by RCMP recently. Um, also, I had a, a young lady reach out to me where the cops are, are harassing her. So, I mean, it's just nonstop with, within the, the Black community that, um, these officers um, continue to target um, African Nova Scotians. Yeah, and I think it's a wake up call to a lot of people that you know this is real. This is this is no joke, especially when it happens to people that are just trying to go by their day, and and then they have to fill in. You know, instead of the police trying to do something about it, we have to follow up on it. Like we have to chase them around and do all the paperwork and get the lawyers. And if somebody would not know, like you said, if somebody would not know or had the resources, this would be dead on the water and it would just happen again and again and again to 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 other people. So I mean, now that you're in this process, um what do you hope becomes out of it for you and for other people? Honestly, I'm looking for accountability. I mean, yeah, they have said that they're sorry, but sorry's not enough. I mean, one officer said that they're sorry. Sorry's not enough. Um, also, I mean, there has there's some changes that needs to happen. Um, they talk about just training and stuff that they take, but how how often is the training and and are they actually learning anything from the training? You know? Um, there's a lot, like I said, there's a lot of changes that need to happen and hopefully, um, me standing up, 
um, for for my rights and everybody, because it's not just for me, this is for everybody, you know, this is for all of our people, um, not just Black people, but, you know, Indigenous folks, other melanated people that, you know, the police keep on, um, um, I guess, taking their power um, to the advantage, or using their power to the advantage, you know, there has to be a, a line where, um, you know, that they're actually here for us and not um, taking that power in consideration and, and using it and abusing it. I agree. I think, uh, you know, they have too much power. Uh, they use it how they want it. And again, people don't understand that when they call systemic racism is not necessarily police officers, it's the whole system. And, you know, the whole system is, you know, if you're a white person, that will never happen to you because the system's not designed to happen to you. So you will never feel it. But if you're black or indigenous, you will definitely feel the effects of of how the cops or the law or everything treats differently. And then when you see that, when you feel it, you're like, oh, wait, uh, why is this happening to me? But when you have to go to this process, the process is a burden as well to people of color and indigenous folks. And and again, you said, I, I agree with you when you said training and all that stuff. I, I believe that doesn't work. I, I also believe that, uh, and this is something that I see a lot. I see that a lot of the cops that patrol the black community are not even black. They don't understand what the hell's going on. So no. they they have no clue how it, how it runs. So I, I don't even know why there's like, why there's no encouragement for to have more black cops in black communities you know like i i don't understand why that, that's not been an initiative of the of the police department especially with the rcmp so at the end of the day we we see that you know driving while black is a real thing it is and what would you say to somebody that has never faced that before to probably a white person that has never faced that before or what driving while black is like how is it different to you than many other people or to me uh, as people of color uh hmm well what can can you uh can you just uh, repeat the question again like what would you say driving what black is to you since you have been through it yeah driving driving while black is it's being it's being a black person driving not being able to to drive down the street and being pulled over by the police, not being able to make it home from your cousin's house, from your cousin's house to your own home, getting pulled over by the police because you're being suspicious. Um, yeah, operating a vehicle as a black person. Yeah, you gotta, I, I, you gotta be really, you gotta be really careful of your surroundings. Like you, you, it's like you have to look over your shoulder. You have to be constantly looking in your blinders to see if anybody's following you a guess yeah and the other thing that i would add to that is that you know if you're white that may not happen to you at all ever ever at all so so That's i one last question i got to you before we get into some more positive things uh i again shout out to the halifax examiner shout out to matthew very good job He's been covering the story in pretty detail. Like, in fact, that the only reason why I know the full details of the story is because of the Halifax Examiner. Mm. Why do you think this hasn't gone to 
other mainstream media such as the CBC, CTV, and other other media that is should be able to cover this because again, there's it's not like this is not public and there is media in the courts that follow these type of things. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, CTV and CBC has been there. So I have been talking to them. Um, I think that um, it de- for me, I, f- I feel like it depends on the reporter. The reporter wants to, um, is interested in the story. Um, also, I feel like, um, I feel like um, if, if something is important to somebody, they'll be out there. Um, capturing the story you know Matthew's been there since I'm pretty sure he's been there since day one Um, and so he's been there to hear what is being said through the whole process I feel like um, I understand that people are super busy um, and have other things that they need to do so you know there there is different people covering the story but I'm not too sure why it's not out there um in the in the main media um it i feel like it it was in the beginning uh, i'm not too sure um i'm not too sure why um there's not as much coverage now but i feel like that that happens um it happens within the the um mainstream media it gets saturated with all the other stories I would agree. I, I think, uh, and again, I, in my opinion, I think it's because uh, Matthew is a black man that kind of understands the the struggle instead of a. Uh, again, no disrespect to CBC or or any other media because, again, like you said, they're busy. There's other news in the in, in you know, and that's that's how the game is. But usually, when when there's somebody from your community and they can relate, they usually try to to follow up. And that's one of the reasons that I reached out as well because I felt like, well. I don't see this going, uh, you know, getting more. So I have to be part of it to to keep it going because I think it's important that people know about this and people can are able to kind of relate to what happens to people of color. So uh, definitely, I think it's it's very important what's happening to you, and we we will keep following up on it. And you know, we don't want to end this in a Debbie Downer kind of story. So I know you've been producing and you've been doing a whole lot of stuff in the community. I mean. You did a cipher. Uh, you're doing a documentary. Tell us about those, all of those projects that you're doing uh, with Pineapple Media. Yeah, Pineapple Express Media. So I'm the co-founder, co-owner um, with my partner Nivi Singh. Um, we are, um, we have currently been working on a docu series called "Is a Scotian Thing" um, since the summer, um, where we are. Um, we're basically capturing the story of how hip hop, how hip hop, um, how or hip hop in the African Nova Scotia community. So basically, where hip hop started, how it started, and how it influenced the communities around Nova Scotia. Yeah, I can't wait till that comes out, and definitely, I, I mean, I believe is a. Uh it's a part of Nova Scotian history that people don't relate to a lot. Uh, and I think uh, it, it's going to be really important when you document that, because I feel it should be part of black history in the Maritimes to, to get the arts and the cultures of black people that have, you know, and again, not that, uh, 
Nova Scotia is a place known for hip hop, but hip hop is black culture and it has been part of that culture for many, many years. Unfortunately, it hasn't been discovered as much. I don't know because Toronto and other places, but I think they they do have a rich history of MCs and things since the since the 80s. So Kayla, what do you want at the end to people get when when this whole process is over? Uh, and this could take years. Who knows? I, I don't know exactly. Um, what do you hope people can take from this experience that you um, are going through right now? Yeah, honestly, um, I hope people stand up more. You know, um, I feel like story stories like mine go unheard um, because. I feel like, you know, we feel we might feel like it's not going to go anywhere or we don't want to go through this long, long ass process because it is a long ass process. Um, um, I was talking to actually uh, Kirk Johnson. He actually went through a similar thing with me um, in the I believe it was in the 90s. Um, and uh, he he went f forward with um, um uh, with his case against the Halifax Regional Police. And, um, you know, his was a five-year process. So, I mean, uh, for me, I'm, I'm like, never give up. Um, you know, we need to stand up for our rights and defund the police. Put the put money more into community and the things that community needs uh, rather than, um, you know, um, funding police officers that are abusing their power. We could use the money towards uh, building up our community more towards like mental health, housing, um, food security. There's a lot of things that money could go towards rather than, um, you know, building up the infrastructure of the, the policing system. Agree. I think uh, there, there's way more ways to... Um invest money in it. I think myself, I don't, I think one of the messages of defunding the police is that people think is get rid of the police. Uh, it, it's not really getting rid of it. It's putting funds that they're going towards the police to go to things as, as you said. So I definitely agree that there, there is better ways to spend uh, police resources uh, to improve, you know, engagement between communities. So uh, Kayla, good luck with this process. Uh, if you need anything, this platform is open for you. And again, we'll be following up on it because again, this this could be take months or it could take years, but uh, hopefully you get the justice that you deserve. Absolutely. I just want to add a piece to that. So on uh, January 5th, that's like I mentioned, that's when Dan Casella um, takes a stand. I'm hoping that um, hoping to mobilize on that day. So mobilizing, meaning hoping um, that folks can come out um, to the hearing um, to hear what Dan Casella has to say. So kind of, you know, just kind of putting some pressure on. Um, on the police, um, on the police station, on the the chief of police to, you know, let people to let them know that people are here and that, you know, we're not going to stand for this anymore. So I um, hope people can come out. Um, it is um, at 930 a.m. I'm just going to give the address here. Give me two seconds. Um, the more the merrier. Um, the address is... Um, it's at the Bu the Bu Jolis Room at the Best Restaurant Plus in Dartmouth, fifteen Spectacle Lake Drive, 
in Dartmouth. And that's January 5th, 2013 at 9.30 a.m. is when we start. All right, we'll put that also in the website so people can know what date and time is. So again, Carla, uh, best of luck to you. And if anything, just let us know. And, and thank you for having this conversation with me. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Guys, uh, just to let us know, check us out on anywhere you can see Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Black and the Maritimes. Uh, thank you for everybody that donates on Patreon and PayPal. And we'll see you next time. Peace. Have a blessed night, everybody.